This is Chip in Durham. Erica in Edmonton. And Shannon in Durham. And welcome to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 97, In the Kingdom of the Blind. Hi, everybody. Um, So Babylon 5 is a very serialized television show, increasingly so as we got along, and we have just dumped ourselves into an episode that does not stand alone at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> not episodic at all. Was that a sarcastic yay or a, hey, this is meaty arc advancing <laughs> stuff, Erica? The latter. It was It was more sort of like, you know, it, it doesn't feel like season one anymore. Hurrah! So <laughs> that, that, that was pure from the heart, joyous mm. glee. You know, my platonic ideal would be an episode that feels like both. You know, it has mm. a beginning, middle, end, end, and still feels like it's a part of the thing. This, this feels more like, this actually feels more like uh, kind of today's prestige mm. television, though. It does. You're 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 not wrong. I do feel like it just it feels like a puzzle piece that goes in the middle of of a bunch of of other things. Which maybe that's why I like it. I've been watching other prestige television, so I, <laughs> it feels familiar and comfortable. Hmm. Um. And then we'll get we'll get into sort of our aesthetic uh, judgments as far as whether it's as good as modern prestige television. But that was the thing that struck me is that this is. Stuff happens, stuff happens, and stuff happens, and it's all interesting, but it's clearly building towards something rather than telling its own story. Totes. Exactly. Um, so, In the Kingdom of the Blind advances the telepath story arc, and we start spending a lot more time on Centauri Prime. Um, we just came out of an episode where there was an attempt on Londo's life, and he was... Uh, and he was getting ready to travel to Centauri Prime with a Narn bodyguard, <laughs> and we just knew that how that that was going to go over really, really well. And we got the payoff today. <laughs> sure did. <laughs> oh, it was it 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 made me shift in my seat, but in you know, in an uncomfortable in a good way because this is a good performance sort of a thing. Yeah. Uh, so let's do the rundown. If this is your first time listening to the audio guide, and if you just want to catch up on what was going on in the show before we got to the episode of which we will discuss previously on Babylon 5, trying to give it a good Michael O'Hare t- <laughs> tone. An interstellar alliance put an end to the millennia-long war between two advanced races, the Shadows and the Vorlons, the latter of whom guided the evolution of dozens of races to create a genetic mutation for telepathy as a weapon against the Shadows. On Earth, telepaths are feared and persecuted if they don't accept being controlled by their own people, the Psycor and its feared Psycop enforcers. Lita Alexander, once bonded with the Vorlon ambassador became their envoy, and had her telepathic powers greatly enhanced. She was one of the few people who knew the truth about where telepathy came from, and now she's shared it with dissident Earth telepaths who've sought sanctuary on Babylon 5. Their charismatic leader, Byron, is pissed. Meanwhile, the Shadow War also brought hostilities to a... temporary... End between the Centauri Republic and the Narn regime. Prime Minister Londo Malari and Ambassador Jakar, respectively, have largely put aside their differences. Malari is due to return to Centauri Prime, and he's bringing Jakar with him as a bodyguard and a message from the Alliance. We'll see if that's received as intended. In this episode, we see if that's received as intended. And it doesn't go down <laughs> easy, although at least one Centauri woman seems charmed by by Jakar. <laughs> Uh-huh. He is he is otherwise not welcomed, but there are stranger things hmm, happening in the <laughs> palace. The regent is acting erratically, one of Londo's friends warns him. His friend had no idea. As soon as he finishes his meeting with Londo, he finds in his quarters the regent himself, who apologizes that it wasn't his idea to kill him. You know how that goes. An attempt is also made on Londo's life. It looks like standard palace intrigue, but Londo is saved by telekinesis and a mysterious helmeted figure. 
the regent finally speaks to Londo, implying that bad things are on the way for both of them, but that the regent's friends feel great kinship with Londo and have great plans for him, so they protected him. Londo decides that it's time to cut his month-long visit about 29 days short. Meanwhile, about the telepath colony. Byron sends his telepaths out to gather the surface thoughts of every ambassador on Babylon 5. He tricks Garibaldi into allowing him an audience with the ambassadors, where he threatens to reveal all their secrets if they don't give the telepaths a colony world as reparations. The situation immediately deteriorates as a group of Drazi attack a telepath and some of Byron's people fight back. That's enough for President Sheridan to rescind his protection of the telepaths. As Byron begins to prepare his people for a siege, telepaths less committed to Byron's nonviolent philosophy take up weapons and vanish into the station. Byron, Lita, and his followers have two, maybe three days left, and it looks like he's expecting the worst. And, oh yeah, the ambassadors were already on edge because transports are being attacked by mysterious ships. We know, dear audience, that they are Centauri ships. And that dun, was done done. Yep. And that was everything that happened without any kind of resolution in in the kingdom of the blind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's uh, first off overall impressions. Uh, this was directed by David Eagles. And I think it, it, he's consistent. He gets great work out of his actors, but his camera work is just kind of meh. Yeah, I. Uh- I did not. I certainly didn't have anything visual drawing my eye this episode. It was um, other than you know when actors were doing things. Um, you know, uh, Damien London doing the Regent. You know, I, I was watching him like crazy because um, he I, he was doing such a really interesting, not just his uh, facial expressions but his body language uh, to get his performance out. I I think I was just so wrapped up in watching the story unfold and watching these characters interact with each other that I, I don't know, I guess maybe I, I fell down on doing my duty as a podcaster and kind of <laughs> forgot to try to notice things like that. I was, I, I think I was just enjoying myself um, quite a lot. You, 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 you've had a lot you to, you've had a lot to say about story this time. Let's mm-hmm. dive in, Erica, dive in. <laughs> uh, well, which, which half do you want to talk about first? Do you want to do the telepaths first or centaur? Uh, dealer's choice. Go for it. Uh, let's let's start on Centauri Prime, uh, just because I am now Shannon has visions <laughs> of the Regent dancing in my head, and I have to agree that his portrayal of that character was so good. I mean, we have we've seen him before, and he's always been a little bit quirky, but now he is is quirky and sort of mad and. I felt like that was a really effective, like, we don't really know what's going on. Although Stephen immediately said, he's, uh, what did he say? He said, he has a brain slug on him. That's why he's <gasps> acting weirdly. <gasps> I was I was so proud of Stephen. He, he actually afterwards, he's like, were you proud of me for remembering the, the brain slugs? <laughs> I was like, yes, dear. I was very proud of you. I mean, and I was just like, that's that's a really good thought. Um, so, so Stephen has his suspicions about why, but... But we don't actually know why. And I think that that Londo's line at the end about how he had been in and out of the palace for his entire life and mm-hmm. Cartagia, uh, even when Cartagia was in, in control, he didn't, you know, didn't make him hate the palace or fear it. Mm-hmm. And now he just, like you said, cuts the, the trip short by 29 days and just wants to get the, the heck out of Dodge. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that between Damien London's performance and Peter Jurisic's performance and his reactions to it, uh, I I felt very unsettled by, by whatever is going on. And it was delightful. Yeah, did, like I said. Did Stephen give a victory fist pump when uh, the brain slug uh, wrapped itself around the regent's <laughs> neck at the end? Oh, you know, he did. He he actually, that's right. He did. He went, uh, oh, see? Mm-hmm. So you're mm-hmm. right. So we do know. Yeah. We, I mean, we do know what's making him do it. We don't necessarily mm-hmm. know why. Yeah. And even for people who had uh, possibly forgotten in the midst of everything else that's been going on, because it's been a while since that reveal happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the way that uh, the regent... You know, just his hands constantly moving and just, you know, at his shoulder or, or, or yes. towards his neck. Like, you know, the, the way he's, you know, like trying to point practically when he can't do anything else. It's like, you know, guys, help me out here. And, of course, nobody sees it. Um, was just uh, terrifying. Um, 
something else that I think enhanced this half of the arc, and I don't know if this falls under director or set design or you know lighting or whatever. Um, but um, I noticed this time around the you know the Centauri Palace as a whole. So much of its action happens at night, um, and even when there's daytime things going on, so many of the rooms are feel dark. And a bit claustrophobic. It's like, you know, you only get like light in sort of that throne room, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even then, the the way the, the camera angles are set up, it, it kind of everyone's in like a narrow hallway, or, you know, just clustered in one tight shot. Uh, it's like, nobody can put a finger on it. But it's kind of like, uh, as one of the um, Lord Jono, I think said, you know, things don't feel right. And Londo later himself, you know, it's like, no, things don't feel right. You know, there's something's wrong. It's like everybody can sort of sense the presence of this, you know, alien species that we get a few glimpses of. Uh, but, of course, nobody knows it's there, so they can't say why things feel wrong. The one thing I have to take slight issue with when it comes to set design is the fact that, okay, so we get, uh, you know, Lord Jano showing up and saying, the Regent will see you now. I trust you know the way to his personal bed chambers and every other like centauri interior all the rooms like the you know even some some hallways obviously not the jail cells but like the the throne room Mm -hmm. are decorated very opulently in a style that you think of as being very centauri and for some reason the 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 path to go from londo's guest room to the regent's private bed chamber is like creepy dark stone that looks like it's i don't know maybe that's like the back way through the castle or something yeah the secret passage yeah that's that is my headcanon to make it Makes sense, but I, I did snicker a little bit. Going yeah. like, wow, decor's falling down. Well, I don't think that any of the other standing Centauri corridor sets had an obvious place to drop a security door between Jakar yeah. and Londo. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and Jakar. That, that's the other thing to talk about, and or mm-hmm. another thing to talk about. Uh, Andreas Katsoulis' performance between poking and teasing. At the Centauri or enjoying it when Londo's getting all the attention and he can just like sort of stand back and snicker um, to the scene with the whip. I mean, just, you know, wonderful Mm -hmm. shaded performances from him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jakar has moral authority, more moral authority than anyone else in that room, including Londo. And Mm -hmm. Andreas Katsoulis' performance just seals it. Yeah, he schools he schools them all and it's it was just a great moment. And I still remember watching this episode for the first time and just really wondering what is Jakar going to do with mm-hmm. that whip? Like I, you know, I don't think anybody in that room would have blamed him for for taking it out on somebody, but mm-hmm. you know, it was like that that real edge of the seat suspense and like kind of holding my breath because mm-hmm. they played it so nicely where he does it everything very like it's not like he's obnoxiously drawing it out to like tease us the viewer he is very purposefully doing everything slowly and methodically to draw it out for the people that are in the room in front of him like this is a performance for 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 them um Mm -hmm. so it's like you know the the play within a play we're watching him put on a performance for them and just yeah he schools them yeah it's interesting to look at him and byron both their Hmm. They're not exactly Jakar is not a pacifist in the way that Byron is, but this is a situation where Jakar in this moment certainly renounces violence as uh, Mm -hmm. not having any point to it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Byron is not at all happy about the violence that happens in his, uh, in his section of the plot of today's episode. Um, But, with Jakar, there seems to be a little bit more situational awareness. I think he he mm-hmm. he, he mm-hmm. he's he's been through. He is confronting the person who did the most, and it's also an interesting contrast between his previous interactions with Londo when he talks about Londo's. Op- and it wasn't exactly him; it was his uh, his ghost self in the very long night of Londo Minolari, you know, the, 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the, but in that story, the figure of Jakar, that is Londo's conscience says that Londo had an obligation 
to say no, even when he didn't make the decisions, he was he was in a position to be he was a witness and he therefore had an obligation. In this moment, the real Jakar, he's probably just making a point. He is probably not <laughs> actually forgiving the guard that flogged him, but he is mm-hmm. making a point that there was a greater evil at work there. And mm-hmm. and he did. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah, I certainly didn't get the idea that he was was forgiving the guard, but I think you're you're right. He, he I mean, and his speech was great too. It was so very Jakar about, mm-hmm. you know, if you if, if a hand reach, reach reaches out and strikes you, will you attack the hand or will you attack the heart that, you know, told the hand to do it? And you know, and then ending by saying that, you know, I think we know that the real evil comes from the mouth. Mm-hmm. It was just just kind of a nice, nice capper to point out that, yeah, like, you know, it, you can you can make an awful lot happen with with just some words and got to be careful with that stuff. Yeah, this is some of JMS's best uh, dialogue um, mm-hmm. in this in this. I think the. The courtly intrigue, the sort of the palace language kind of thing, I think that plays to JMS's speech. It gives him a little more room to pontificate mm-hmm. and for that pontification to have some weight. Mm-hmm. Especially when it's Andreas Katsoulos delivering those lines. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that last scene with Londo and the Regent after, you know, Londo is attacked and it's just it, – it's he's attacked by just – Plain old other Centauri who mm-hmm. who see an opportunity and they're trying to get it get it, and Londo is saved by mysterious forces, <laughs> and and then he meets finally meets with the Regent and the Regent tells him that those mysterious forces they like you they <laughs> they, they, they they like you and they feel like you're one of them. Now, what does that it's sound like? Common. Yeah. What, a, what does that sound like? What does that remind us of? I don't know. Just everything that happened to Londo with the shadows, with Morden. Yep. It's creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Bad news. Darkness and bad news. Yeah. Um, and as you said, uh, Shannon, uh, Damien London's performance in that is just, you know, you know, in this whole episode, you know, he 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 says pastels again and has mm-hmm. completely different tone from yes. the last time. Yes, yes, that was mm-hmm. that was the wonderful tu- wonderful touch. <laughs> A little on the nose, but how? What did you two think about that last scene um, uh, and and uh, Londo's assessment with Jakar afterward? Did it give you that that feeling of dread of what's coming up? You know, try to put yourself. Try to put yourself in the mind of a first-time viewer, you know. Did it seem as heavy as it felt to me? Oh, yeah. I would think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yep. This, I, I just, that whole, the whole thing, this whole story. I just love this episode. I really do. Um, I mean, we'll get the, even the telepath plot parts are were interesting to me but this is the this is the meat and potatoes for me is the you know you get Jakar and Londo who are you know my favorite two characters to see interact with each other and then you know Jakar interacting with another society and then you know like the icing on the cake you get the the dread that's left and the 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 heartfelt like sadness and and love that I felt, you know, coming off of the region. Like he cares mm-hmm. for Londo. He he cares for for Centauri Prime and he is not in control of himself or anything else. And that makes him very sad and extra mad and it's it is it is perfection. And yeah, I was left at, at the end, you know, kind of feeling like what Jakar said. Uh the, the line reading was was really good because uh, he stressed um, he stressed it as in not just like, uh, you know, you're afraid, you know, you're afraid, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get any sleep. He's like, no, you're afraid. <laughs> OK, now <laughs> I'm not going to get any sleep because if somebody who has done all of the things that Londo has done over the years is afraid of, of what's going on in Centauri's own uh, homestead there. Yeah, that's that's something to be worried about. And it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the Centauri plot 
had a couple of piece, extra pieces to it at the top and the tail of the episode that um, we don't get a lot of information about or about what's going on. But uh, Londo is made aware that supply and ship reports have been directed to the region exclusively, that they're all top secret now. And at the very beginning of the episode, we are introduced to this little other thing that's going on that's got the Interstellar Alliance ambassadors concerned, attacks on shipping lanes. And these attacks, you know, they're not they're not raiders making off with booty. They're just kill they're just destroying ships uh with no particular reason. And if you're paying close attention at that first shot before the credits, we see what is actually the tail end of a Centauri spaceship, but mm-hmm. the people who noticed this didn't get a whole lot of time to be smug about it because it's made absolutely obvious at the end of the episode that whatever's going on, the Centauri are blowing up ships left and right. Yeah, well, exactly. or the, either the Centauri are or their ships are possibly being piloted by the mysterious creatures. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are all possibilities. Um, so we don't get a lot of explanation in this episode of why it is. Uh, I wonder if, you know, fans questioned JMS online at the time. As you can see, if you read the Lurker's Guide at midwinter.com slash lurk, uh, fans were giving JMS grief. You know, why did you spoil the surprise? You know, you set up this mystery <laughs> and you immediately told us that it's the Centauri doing it. And JMS's response is... Because I wanted you to know it, the question, as with so many other things that we've done in this show, is not the mystery of who, it's the mystery of why. Why? Mm-hmm. Yep. Here, here. And also, I mean, I did not notice that. So, like you said, feeling smug, like, yay for everybody, anybody who who, fi- who realized that that was a Centauri ship at the beginning. But yeah, it's not it's not so much a, a spoiler as just, you know, it, it, and for me, I felt like it was a reveal at the end because I didn't notice the ship uh, at the beginning and I felt like you know getting back to how we were talking about prestige television I did feel like that was a moment that very much felt like television now echoes it because you know even though it's very TV now is very serialized you still get you know cliffhangery moments like it's an important thing at the end of an episode of you know Stranger Things or, or whatever to to have a bit of a cliffhanger to make you, you know, not want to press your remote and let the credits just roll right into the beginning of the next episode. And I felt like that's ex- that is exactly the effect that this had. It was like mm-hmm. <gasps> the plot just thickened. And here we are. Here we go again. I want the next episode. Right. Um, they kind of managed to do that with the uh, other half of the of the story. With, you know, leaving it Mm. hanging um, in a way that, you know, if that is a a storyline you're invested in, you want to know what happens next. Segway moment. Um, You're welcome. (laughs) um, And and it's appropriate that we do that because, you know, the ambassadors are nervous because their ship lines are, Mm -hmm. their shipping lines are being attacked. Um, Their ships are being attacked. And that means that when the telepaths try to blackmail them, they're already on edge and they're not prepared to react to it very constructively. So let's uh, talk about the telepath plot. Byron left the previous episode very angry. Um, His entire worldview about uh, telepaths' place in the Interstellar Alliance completely changed. And he promised that they were going to force the issue, and now he tries to do that. And his plan is to have his telepaths sneak around in the ambassador's heads, take off, take take any free-floating secrets off the top, because you can't go deeper unless you do a deep scan and the ambassadors would notice it, and count on them being too paranoid to want those secrets to be revealed and... Hey, presto, we'll give you a uh, telepath colony some world somewhere. Did Was that a good plan? And did he have any hope of it? At, was, it a, was it believable that he would choose that kind of a plan? And did it really have any chance of succeeding? Yes and no. <laughs> um, and usually, usually Stephen and I don't go too deep into discussion about stuff that's happening because either I'm worried about spoilers or I'm just, you know saving it for the podcast. But we actually got into it um, 
in this one and talking specifically about that and how yeah, we were both just like, that is a terrible plan. That is that is not going to work. You know, it's 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 possible that telepaths just really don't have a good understanding of, you know, quote unquote, human nature and the way that people will react to, you know, threats or something. Well, none uh, of them are experienced politicians. That's for sure. This is, There's that. This is, and- but just just even like pure humanity type stuff. But the reason that we were both OK with it and, and Stephen was like, yeah, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bad writing thing. Uh, he's like, I just think it's a bl- bad plan within the world. But we both Mm-hmm. bought it and were okay with it because of that shift that we saw in Byron at the at the end of the previous episode where he learns this and his entire worldview has mm-hmm. been shattered. And yeah, that kind of thing is going to make you uh, emotional and th- being that kind of emotional totally is going to lead to irrationality and just not planning very well, I think. Yeah, basically, I just felt like this half of the episode was one long string of People making decisions because they are reacting instead of thinking or taking the time. It's like it wasn't until Delenn finally stops and says, now, wait a minute, that, you know, the first bit of let's think about this. If Byron had had the space to calm down about this and maybe remember that in theory he trusts Sheridan, you know, Sheridan is supposed to be helping them, um, you know, why he did not go to Sheridan first by himself just to say, I have learned this, this is what I want, you know, he, that might have sparked a dialogue and, a, okay, let's bring this to a lot, the Alliance, let's see if we can mm-hmm. find a world somewhere. Instead, he, you know, goes charging in out of anger and put Sheridan on his back heel. And unfortunately, Sheridan's reaction is a, you know, instant no, instead of, can we talk about this? It's a a very complicated. Can can we talk? Yeah, it's a very telling. It's very telling. And Delenn calls him on it. And I love mm -hmm. that bit of writing when he says that they did it the inconvenient way. The the very same thing that President Luchenko said. Yep. Yep. I, uh, I I had a little bit of trouble with Sheridan's characterization here, and I'm not sure if if this was on purpose or if it was just a little bit mistimed with his reaction, because Sheridan, who is the idealist and who I think, you know, season two Sheridan, if if somebody had come to him with this, would have immediately been like, yeah, gosh, darn it, you're right. You do deserve uh, you deserve better than what you've we've been given um it's i find it interesting that he jumps to negativity and starts yelling before byron even gets to the blackmail part mm-hmm. all he says all byron says is you know he, he uses the word demand that's like not a good choice byron that's not cool mm-hmm. even if he had hijacked the meeting and and made a formal request and handed out the details mm-hmm. you know this is what we have learned about the forlorns you guys should all learn it too we formally request blah 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 mm-hmm. blah you know that would have been better yeah. but but it, it, he, he uses the word demand and then Sheridan just immediately jumps on him and says you're out of order and that's before there's any threats and any I think blackmail. part of, and I think part of that is because of the timing of the ships on the shipping lines being attacked because Sheridan is already like Dole, he, he's already being political about it. He's like doling out the information carefully. He's trying to control it so that you know all the ambassadors get it at once because he knows that the minute that that information gets to them, they're going to be on edge. They're going to be angry. They're going to be blaming each other. So, you know, JMS put Sheridan in a sort of heightened state of tension himself already, which mm-hmm. makes it easier for me to believe that Sheridan would, you know, go no like that, you know, and when Byron confronts him like that. Like I said, mm-hmm. a string of poor decisions mm-hmm. that fit mm-hmm. the characters and fit their circumstances. Yeah. I and like I, I like that. Mm-hmm. And if I could uh, lean into that a little further, Byron assesses Sheridan's character at the end of the episode, and it's probably not a new assessment. It's probably the reason that he didn't go to Sheridan in the first place uh, with his mm-hmm. demands one-on-one is that – he doesn't believe that Sheridan has the power to stop this train because Sheridan is not the dictator of the Interstellar Alliance. Mm-hmm. It is a confederation of sovereign governments that are not all the most evolved or savvy mm-hmm. or stable or confident um, that – even if Sheridan brought this to the brought this idea to the alliance himself, 
you know, they wouldn't necessarily go for it. And we saw with the Drazi just jumping the one the one telepath, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think Byron want, Byron may have had grandiose ideas about the power of his own persuasiveness and the power of their mm-hmm. own blackmail. But he seems to have very guarded beliefs in the power of Sheridan. Yeah, Stephen, when when we were talking about this and evaluating his his reaction, I do I do like that that you pointed out Shannon his reaction his that that his heightened state of tension earlier that makes me a little easier for me to deal with. But Stephen mm-hmm. just got quiet for a second and said, "He's a bureaucrat now. Mm-hmm. The Sheridan we know is dead." Ever since Ow. he put on that suit, <laughs> it's just, and obviously Stephen was joking, but there is a little, there is a little bit to that. He is, there he is. is a bureaucrat. He's the president, and yeah. that that weighs heavily on him. And I think we see that in in all of his reactions. We see that all over the place with when military leaders take on political or other public roles, and it just doesn't always translate that easily. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it, like you mentioned before, that that Sheridan or that uh, Delenn, you know, calls him on it, and he takes a step back and says, you know, maybe maybe they're right. Maybe we do owe them something. Uh, like you know, and later when Delenn is gone and he's talking to Garibaldi and he says, maybe Delenn was right. And in my head, I'm like, Delenn is always right. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yes, she yeah. is. You should listen to her. Yeah, I, I found myself like a couple of times after watching the episode playing the what if game. What if Byron mm-hmm. had thought to go to Delenn first? Mm. What if Byron had thought to go to Captain Lockley first? You know, I've just, you you know, Lockley might have, if this is the first time she's learning about this Vorlon manipulation, she might have turned a a much more sympathetic ear to the situation. We don't know because it didn't happen, but it was fun to think about. Yeah, it's interesting watching this play out, uh, watching Sheridan sort of stuck in that bureaucratic role and uh, not having a whole lot of good options ahead of him. And the political negotiations going on, the Interstellar Alliance in this moment feels like the Republic Senate in The Phantom Menace, um, although I think that this is a better <laughs> written story. Um, but or, or we're seeing some of the references from the deconstruction of falling stars start to fall into place. There is that. He did, you know, uh, some of the criticism of Sheridan by those future folk, as well as the quote where he supposedly said that the um, uh, telepath situation was the worst decision that he could that he ever made and things like that. And we sort of see where he could be coming from with that. Yeah. Now we're now the question is, which part, which which decision? Was it the decision to let them stay in the first place? Was it the decision not to you know, to not to automatically say no to a home world. You know, there's multiple possibilities now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, we will find out more about in future episodes. But mm-hmm. we, we're not going to talk about that right now. Sorry, newcomers. <laughs> uh, so it ends poorly, or it doesn't end, but it looks like it's going in a poor direction for the telepaths. Uh we have a break in the cult of Byron. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a bad leader. That, that was actually the, one of the first things that Stephen said when I asked him what, what he thought about this episode. Byron's a bad leader. He's like, they didn't even get one scene into his plan before it went haywire, <laughs> which which is true. I feel like he, it, it all comes back to what I said at first. He's not good at anticipating what other people's reactions are going to be to mm-hmm. the, the steps that he takes. So he... He just thinks that that because they have their secrets, if they all stick together, they'll be fine because security will have to have to protect him, which, you know, that's I suppose that's true. But there's always the possibility that things are going to go off the rails. A good leader would have sent people out for supplies before right. he dropped his bomb of blackmail. Right. Um, and and then they would have been prepped and it would have been fine. And then also just expecting that people are going to do what you say just because you tell them to do it. Mm-hmm. Nope, nope. Somebody is stupid and runs off on their own. Uh, we don't see the scene where he's giving them that the information. So we don't know if he has told them why they should all stick together. I, I get the impression that he has. They're telepaths. They share things mind to mind. So I feel like this kid, this guy is just really, really dumb. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he could or, have. I feel like there's so much that could have been prevented by just being a good leader and thinking. Yeah. It. It's or, leader- or coming from a, a different place. I mean, you know, the, the other telepath go- explains 
explains, you know, what he went through, what his family went through trying to play the waiting game. And it didn't work for them. He lays it out. You know, this didn't work. The the Psycorp, you know, they came for me anyway. They came for my sister. And, you know, we went through all of this horrible, horrible stuff. Uh, trying to play it your way, we're gonna. You know, I'm gonna try it my way. Yeah, and I, wish, instead- I really wish Byron would have engaged there and been like, "Well, mm-hmm. what do you think is going to happen to you when when you leave? Like here, at least mm-hmm. we have a chance. If you if you go out there, like, and I kind of wanted Lita to step up at that point too. Yeah, and be like, I have yeah. lived on this station for many years. I know how this works. They are, you know, they're going to pull in psychops or send security or, you know, whatever. And like, it's, you know, realistically, it's that's you're probably not going to get very far. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Alita's thought is to talk to Sheridan, not Lockley. So, you know, again, it's like, you Mm -hmm. know, the station versus the Interstellar Alliance, you know, who's got the deciding vote on this. Well, to be fair, Mm -hmm. Lita knows Sheridan. She doesn't know Lockley. Not really well. Um, True. But Lita and, is Lita yeah. is team is so fully team Byron right now mm-hmm. that she's not going mm-hmm. to get into the fight, especially since she although she's team Byron, she doesn't really know the telepath colony that well and may not have felt uh, comfortable in getting into a fight between the family. As for Byron, uh, yeah, as for Byron, he's just sort of he's it's it's leadership by ideology. Mm-hmm. He is so convinced of the rightness of his cause that thinking through the strategy and thinking through the pragmatics and the politics, that's for other people to do. Um, he, is, he is incandescently right about his cause, and mm-hmm. that is everything for him. That ends, that ends the thought process for him. And yeah, all he has to do is stand there and pontificate about being a coppersmith with a willow tree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so he is, so he is shocked, and he shouldn't be when he and Lita, and Lita's the first one uh, to notice it. Interestingly enough, when they all detect that one of their own is being beaten by the Drazi, he's mm-hmm. surprised. He's shocked. He shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Right. And I like I I do, I feel like it was a good performance and I felt I felt for him because yes he shouldn't be surprised but he is and he's he's clearly pained about it. So I mean he's mm-hmm. he's not he's not a shill. He's not putting these people on and you know trying to make a cult of personality around him just for the the power of it. He feels the things that he feels very deeply uh and and is is hurt to the core when when things go so terribly wrong after his actions Mm -hmm. byron is a character spoiler alert everybody byron is a character that not a lot of babylon 5 fans like Mm yep this is true uh as we have that was the case by this time i think so yeah yeah but uh i have been pleasantly surprised with how byron has been written in most episodes and acted in most episodes, mm-hmm. um, I I am on board in a way that I was not about twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. That's what interesting. Ab- what about what about you, Erica? Because yeah. I think I, I think I'm I'm hearing some uh huhs from Shannon, but I'm not sure I'm hearing any uh huhs from you. I am liking the storyline a lot better than I thought I was going to. I'm still not sure I'm at all Team Byron, but I, I think. I think I view him as a more fleshed out character now than I than mm-hmm. I did at the time because I'm paying so much closer attention uh, to to him and the way that he's doing things and and stuff. Uh, whereas like the first first few times through, it was more I just want to absorb everything that's happening and there's that you know cool Centauri plot over there and I was just like you know squirrel shiny thing. Um, whereas <laughs> now I have the opportunity to to dig into it. So so yeah, I'm I'm appreciating it much more. Uh, it's it's fun watching Steven's reaction. The, uh, the scene where Byron sits with uh, Garibaldi and puts in his request to see the council, you know, that, that scene ended and Stephen just went shifty. They're all <laughs> shifty. He just, he's not. <laughs> and then uh, and then later on when uh, when it all blows up in Garibaldi's face and he says, never, ever trust a telepath. Stephen just raises his hands, you know, like palm up being like, see, like <laughs> gesticulating at the screen. So. So he, I think he's enjoying the uh, the storyline, but does not trust the telepaths. Uh, imagine yeah. that. I'm trying to think back. I think at the time, 
first watching this, uh, I was that I think I enjoyed the telepath story and the Byron uh, character more than most people did. But seeing how most people reacted, I did what I often do when my opinion is not popular and tend to just like sort of just quiet down. Um, But yeah, um, yeah, it is. Yeah, I think in this case, received fan wisdom is uh, has jumped to conclusions a bit. Uh, I think there are some very compelling points to this story. Uh, generally, I think Robin Atkin Downs does the best he can with what JMS gave him, uh, that most of the time JMS gave him interesting things to say, and sometimes he just went overboard. Um, <laughs> and that's, you know, and JMS has done that to a lot of his characters. So um, I I don't think you can point to, you know, the, the, this one character and say, you know, he wrecked the season. I, 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 I am I am not there at this point. I have one last question before we go into jump gate space. Erica, choose Sinclair or Byron. <laughs> Sinclair. <laughs> yeah, that was yes. that was not even that was not even difficult. So. Well played, Chip. Well played. I win. I win. <laughs> All right. Well, that seems like a good place to wrap up uh, before we uh, go into the jump gate. Uh, our next episode next time is a tragedy of telepaths. Uh, that we we until we get to the episode that we skipped to follow the recommended the recommended episode order, uh, we are going to be pretty much on track otherwise uh, throughout the rest of the season. So uh, not a whole lot more DVD shuffling yet <laughs> to come, but that will be next time um, for episode ninety eight. In the meantime, we have been enjoying so much the conversation that's been going on on Twitter and in our uh, comment threads at b5audioguide.com. And our Twitter is b5audioguide. Please jump in. And a special shout out at the time of recording of thanks to the showrunner himself, JMS, who said, kind things about our podcast uh when we when senpai noticed us (laughs) and we we appreciate that as i as i said as i said in response uh thank you sir uh we apologize that we didn't enjoy random plot point as much as as you did (laughs) uh but uh we love this show we love talking about it and it just does feel kind of nice that uh the man who made the show is aware of our work so thanks boss uh (laughs) all right erica you've got a tragedy of telepaths next time i look forward to hearing what steven makes of that title in advance Mm -hmm. and it is time for us to jump into spoiler space if you have never seen babylon 5 before and don't want to know what's coming it's time for you to go away We're going into the jump gate right now. So also at the time of recording this, uh, we are just a couple of months out from having gone to the Long Island Who convention where Erica and I did a panel interviewing uh, Peter David, who wrote a couple of episodes of the show and wrote some novels about the uh, titled... The umbrella term for the ty- for the novels was the fall of Centauri Prime, and Peter David goes into great lengths as of what's going on in Londo's head as he gets um, gets a keeper slapped on him and becomes a thrall of the Drock. And some of those passages were very clear in my mind as I was watching the poor Regent uh, in this episode. Um, there's some heavy, heavy, heavy stuff going uh, on on the way for Londo and for Centauri Prime, and mm-hmm. that's going to be very poignant and very painful. There's even more when they get into the uh, the outside the the outside reading material that's canon, but it's not televised, but. This I, I just had this feeling of dread throughout this whole episode because I knew just how mm. bad it was going to be for Londo and how bad it was for the regent inside him. We know that it's the Drock. We know that 
um, there's some vicious mind control shenanigans going on and that it's just not going to end well for any of them. Mm hmm. Yeah, I had the same sort of like empty feeling in the pit of my stomach when, especially when the regent was giving his lines about how Londo should, you know, run around in the sun mm -hmm. and enjoy it while he can because there's so little time, so little time. I was just like, <gasps> my heart. It was, that was, that was hard to watch. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. because we know Londo's got it coming to him. If you're, if, if, mm -hmm. if in a karma sense or if, you know, um, you know, your own personal hell for what you've done. Londo has done some awful stuff, and he is at this moment acting like a redeemed person, and he is at this moment being a good person. And the decisions that he made, they still have a price tag, and that price tag is coming up, and it's just kind of awful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he is acting like a good and sort of redeemed person down to his body language. I noticed that there were a couple of times where as he was like going past Jakar or going around him, like he put out his his hand mm -hmm. and touched Jakar on the arm, like right. a friendly gesture. And I was just like, oh, look yeah. at where you are now. I hate the thought of where you're going. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. The The fact that, you know, other than dealing with the problems that are cropping up as he learns what's going on on Centauri Prime from uh, from his friends. That, But yeah, that he, he and Jakar are like at the most friendly seeing eye to eye that they've ever been on this show. And yet, knowing what's coming, uh, it's, it's all going to fall apart. This is the first time, as, as I said, that uh, we get a hint of who who it is, who the bad guys are, which we get almost enough of a glimpse to identify them. Um, mm -hmm. The helmeted dude with the glowing red eyes. They slapped visual effects over uh, the Drock in um, mm -hmm. that season four episode because they weren't satisfied with the mask. But if you're squinting really close, you can mm -hmm. sort of figure out that that is exactly who they're dealing yeah, with. Certainly the second glimpse. The, the second, the the one we see that's got the helmet, but there's no glowing red eyes uh, at the towards the end of the episode. Well, uh, at I the, think at I the think end, he's identifiable. At the end, there's no at, at the end. The that is the he's unmasked, so he's not he he's got, he's just got mm -hmm. open eyes and he's mm -hmm. and there's it's no the, helmet. There's no helmet. It's the first time we've seen those prosthetics um, in mm -hmm. the show at all. Uh, but yeah, it's the Drock, it's the Shadow Servitors. Um, but we know we know that uh, our characters don't know that, and our audience who hasn't seen past this episode doesn't know that yet. No, I, I honestly, I'm not sure if Stephen even remembers um, the Drock at all that they exist. So it will be interesting. Like he seemed to really just not know who these folks were. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, like I said, it's been a while. I mean, the mm -hmm. w when Delenn runs across them, it was back in yeah late season late season four, so it's been ages. I mean, they were mentioned um, mm -hmm. not all that many episodes ago, and I think at that time I had just like a quick sort of reminder to Stephen to be like, "Draw, he was what's that?" And I was like, "Oh, remember when you know Delenn's flunky tricked her into going to meet with another race and." Then, you know, they almost destroyed her and she turned around and had that really epic moment where she was like, end this. And he's like, oh, right. So <laughs> at least I was able to sort of freshen the memory a little bit. And, uh, you know, once once the big reveal happens, I will I will have to probably remind him of that episode mm -hmm. again. Yeah. And then we'll see a bunch of those helmeted drock in that episode of Crusade. That's so awful. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, I, I I will be fascinated, you know, uh, when 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 we figure out how we're going to handle Crusade after we're done with our uh, five year run of the audio guide and we take a nice restful break. I'll be fascinated <laughs> to see what Stephen makes of the effort to get Crusade off the ground. Mm -hmm. Just saying. <laughs> uh, uh, any other spoilery thoughts about uh, the Centauri Prime side of things? Nope. Not at the moment. Then let's get long-haired again. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've got just two more episodes. Uh, and 
I almost feel like it's being dragged out a bit too much. Uh, I will possibly feel differently once uh, we've uh, rewatched those two episodes, but it feels to me like this thing could have ended in the next episode. Just boom. It, it, it does look really bleak right now. I mean, it sure could. I just, I not remembering the next two episodes, I'm not, like, I know what happens in general, but I don't remember how it plays out. So just just feeling like I'm sort of coming into a cold, I kind of, I feel like it would build dramatic tension to to have it dragged out a little bit because they have literally welded themselves in. And, you know, the the idea of them sitting around and waiting and and having some of that time built into television time, you know, because obviously you can just skip ahead and say, look, it's three days later. But Mm -hmm. giving the audience a little bit of that waiting, I think, uh, is not a bad thing. I like I like experiencing a bit of the the suspense and the the wondering what the heck is going to happen along with the characters who are trapped in there. Yeah, I mean, if you want it to feel like a siege, then it needs to last for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And there's another benefit there, too. Lita now is still recognizably our Lita, but she has made a choice to to align herself uh, emotionally Mm -hmm. and physically and whatever else with Byron. Uh, As things get worse and worse and the tension ratchets up and worse, when Byron's done and gone, she's going to be good and pissed. And that is the point that really changes her and radicalizes her. Uh, so maybe giving us that much more time for the telepath arc to build and then explode um, makes it a little more believable where Lita goes for the remainder of the season. Mm-hmm. Any other spoilery thoughts about Byron and the telepaths? Nope. Are we done? Nothing's are coming to done? mind. <laughs> I think we might be. I think we are. I think we are. There's so much to come, but there's not really so much to comment on. It's basically resolution it's all coming. Kind of laid out. Yeah. 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 So next time, tragedy of telepaths. Bester arrives. Uh, Lockley gets involved. It's been a while since we've seen her. And uh, some interesting uh, stuff with Sheridan and uh, other members of the Alliance sort of, again, positioning Sheridan as the not entirely gifted (laughs) political leader of the Alliance. So that's what's (laughs) coming up. Um, Listen, uh, please... Leave your comments on in the Kingdom of the Blind and our spoiler in our in our Earhart's thread, where all of the experienced fly boys and fly girls go to uh, talk about the show. Uh, thank you so much for your comments. Thank you for listening to us as we approach the midpoint of the final season of Babylon Five. Until next time, this is Chip and Durham, Erica and Edmonton, and Shannon and Durham. And you have been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. Mm-hmm.